Hi there, and welcome to the Cambridge Stronger podcast, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber. Joining me today is Executive Vice President and Chief Technology Officer of Cambridge, Nick Graham. Thanks so much for joining me today, Nick. Thank you, Amy. It's been a lot of fun to prepare and to think about being able to participate in this. I'm super excited about sharing more members of the Cambridge internal family with our audience. And it is a real honor to congratulate you and welcome you. You were named Chief Technology Officer of the Year at WealthManagement.com's 2021 Industry Awards. And we're all so very proud of you. It's a huge accomplishment. Let's tell our listeners just what that recognition means to you. I think it's a culmination of really a lot of good teamwork. You know, I know a lot of people might say that as the leader, but I've been with Cambridge now four years and we've made a lot of material investments for advisors. We've listened to our audience of clients and we've been able to do a lot that's gotten recognition now. And I view that as a testament to the hard work and the efforts in overcoming the challenges of a very competitive landscape. You know, let's be honest, uh, that is not an easy world to try to distinguish yourself from your competition. And I think for us to be recognized as a testament to what my team and the rest of the Cambridge family has been able to produce for the advisors and I get to take the credit for it. So it's been kind of fun. I bet, I bet. Yeah, we, um, I have been so impressed with your ability to lead our technology team to a place where, to, to your point, it's valid that in today's world, technology is really a, a difficult place to differentiate because we all need it and we all have to use it. Um, but here at Cambridge, our flexibility offers a unique challenge to you and the team uh, to have to satisfy all of the different asks, perhaps, that our environment, whether it's internal or our financial professionals, bring to the table and put it all together so it works just as seamless as what you know, you and I both know we call the box, right? A lot of our competitors, um, in my opinion, have it a lot easier than you do because they get to pick one of everything and uh, bolt it together or build it themselves. And you get to spend a lot of time integrating. And that I think shows, it's a real testament that you could pull off this type of an accomplishment and take Cambridge's technology platform to the levels that you have and still honoring that flexibility. So thanks for all of your hard work and the team's hard work in that. So being named CTO of the year comes with a pretty big platform in our industry. What ways do you plan on using the platform? How, where do you take it from here? Back to your comment about what Cambridge does this unique. We, we often carry the moniker of choice, which means there has to be that flexibility you spoke of. And the technical side of that for the business users out there listening is you have to build things in a different way. You have to have a different demand on those vendors to allow you to build out those options and have those selections and be able to be configurable in a fashion that meets all of the classic independent advisors needs. And now that we have you know, my award or the recognition that Cambridge has been able to achieve, it's influence with the vendors. I make a lot of demands on them as to how they approach their investment, what the expectations are of maintaining their relationship with us, and being able to have a strategy for that that continues that story of flexibility as each of them 
do their next release or offer that next feature, it's in mind and in form of ways we can bring together flexibility. Uh, otherwise, they would be a, a one-trick pony, if you will. They're only thought of as a standalone product or they're only useful in a certain ecosystem. I'm pressing them to be much more broad in their thinking or to look at the trends within the industry and meet me halfway. Know that we're going to make demands or we'll be making selections from a Cambridge standpoint that delivers flexibility. And if they're not planning equally in that front, they're likely to be left behind. And the award to bring it back to your original question gives me a little more influence over getting their attention. You know, here's what I'm thinking, here's what we're doing. Here's the way my company that I represent is making demands on you as a vendor. And when we participate and we do a lot of participation, that's a big part of Cambridge's investment is making sure we are out there and fighting for the independent investor, making sure they are represented in the solutions that are being produced. I try to leverage that influence to get what we need to provide the solutions we offer. I wouldn't want to be in their seats, that's for sure. So you do a good job with that. <laughs> Talk to our listeners. Let's take a step back. As someone with over 20 years of experience in product development, consulting services, business development across a variety of markets, I know from when we were looking to fill your position, um, reviewing your resume, it was wide and deep with all kinds of different experience. How did you get to where you are today? Not so much Cambridge, but you know, in your career, talk about your career path. A career path for me is I always saw myself as a, as a hotshot developer. Uh, and as I started my first professional career uh, working for the Department of Defense, I was an integrator in that model. I was building data centers and making product from scratch working with vendors. And my mentors at the time uh, said to me, you're far better seeing a strategy and managing people around you that are smarter than you, Nick. So this is where you need to go. You need to be in management. So I, I kind of grasped onto that and, and made it my career choice to get well-rounded. Uh, so I went from building you know, things that helped our country and, and defended our soldiers to what I ended up doing around building good solutions and business uh, type applications for a variety of companies. I did two or three that I was a lead architect or I was a senior developer or I was a research developer for them. And as I continued to grow in authority, I started to cultivate the kind of relationships that allowed me to build out the rest of the story for product development, product people, business analysts, business relationships, and that led me to building, probably later in my career, a big milestone of a application service provider. Mission critical business systems delivered with all the technology under the hood for a single flat price was something that a company called US Internet Working, if you ever look at my resume, was all about. And that gave me a huge exposure to financial servicing type solutions and challenges to what we did with the medical world and what we did with regulation and what we had to do with large scale deliveries for partners. And that set me up for the second half of the story, if you will. I got into consulting at that point in time. I got into business solution delivery at that point in time. And I spent the next, you know, probably 12 to 15 years doing a lot more turnkey solution delivery or turnaround uh, or growth planning for large companies. And it was a natural fit four years ago when I got a phone call saying, there's a great company in Iowa that you should be a part of that story. 
and they have a good solution that you could probably bring additional value to. And that's what I found when I got here. And when you and I first met, it was all about what was already done and what your goals were for where we needed to go next. And at that time, I was well positioned to have the background and at least the holistic view and understanding of the issues, because there's a lot of trade-offs between business initiatives and technology initiatives that made me a good fit. And I saw a, a, a home for myself in the way that you've cultivated your management team. And it's been great. Never look back, very happy about the way things are rolling. And I see a great future for us ahead together. Thank you. Um, yeah, let me um, just expand a little bit on, on that for our listeners um, in particular, maybe to give some inspiration to some other companies or senior leadership teams about using their CTO, their technologist, a senior technology person on the business side, um, probably one of the most beneficial things to our company has been to take somebody with your experience and area of expertise and add them to our board of directors and executive council. I don't know that all companies consider that role as somebody that can contribute at the table. I think it's happening more and more frequently, but in my opinion, it's a big differentiator to have somebody with your area of expertise sitting at that table to contribute to the business discussions and the business case behind what we're doing. You've added a lot of value there as well. So thank you for that. And before I switch gears, also thank you and so many of what I know to be members of your family for your service to our country. I, I would be remiss if I did not uh, insert that after um, you shared your experience there with us. So thank you. So let's switch gears just a little bit because we're still on um, something that you touched on. It's Cambridge's digital transformation. It's a topic we heavily concentrate on here. Uh, we even debate the definition of it sometimes, I think. Talk about, from your perspective, the importance of this digital transformation that we're on and how it improves our daily processes for our financial professionals and also their clients. Cambridge's journey, and I, and I would stress the word journey, is the way I think everyone needs to become accustomed to thinking about digitization of their industry or their own use of technology to be more digital in nature. A lot of manual procedures, a lot of technical adoption, a lot of retention of investment. You know, you buy and pay into and get something like how long will it last and service me, service me would be all a part of a larger strategy that's a journey. And Cambridge started this by listening to our clients first. A lot of the paperwork was the biggest friction point that they had with their ultimate client. A lot of our processing is about managing the regulatory and compliance orientation of that document, you know, stack that we get every month. And to do something new with it is to derive a lot of value, but you also have to do it right. You know, the values you can derive is everything is now in a form that you can pass around and reuse and leverage and call back and mine, as long as it's of a high quality and it's very visible. The other thing that you get to do is to catch mistakes. You know, deal with the NIGOs, have a, a better quality of exchange that you have with partners and, and procedures that you're trying to manage and adhere to. The other part of it for the individual advisor is it cleans up the experience with the potential client. You know, coming up with ways to have a faster transaction of having them approve something you've offered or show a plan that you've created that can quickly be put into a digital form that you can manage for historical reference or to be able to 
give the client something that they can interact with. So we started at the company around what we did with eSignature. A good starting point, we had a lot of that earlier influence I talked to you about. We far and away, based on my meetings with my partners in the FSI community, or even some of my competitor conversations where I'm friends with you know, the other CTO from the other shop, we are far and away ahead on getting many of our partners to participate in our e-signature models. Uh, you know, we're very flexible about the way that we do that integration. We have a very broad and growing list of people that participate in the way that we handle that for advisors. And that was our first win. Got a lot of good information and activity for a big spectrum of our independent advisors into that technology. Now, the next part for us would be around some of the procedures that we follow. Some of that, again, was manual in its nature, swivel chair, if you will, inside your office of capture it here with the client and spin around and hand it to somebody else to rekey in. Being able to give systems and solutions to that scenario allow for it to be done once, be shared many places, to be managed in a single location and be able to be historically correct and of a high quality. Those are things that we're investing in now. My business partners, both in compliance and what we do in operations, are in rolling out and investing in technologies today as our new offering around being able to handle that paper management process in new ways that are both moving out of a, a physical paper format into a digital format. Gives us all those values I talked about earlier, but again, enriches and cleans up some of the friction that our advisors had to deal with in their offices or in front of their client. And more importantly, in their admin staff to manage their firm uh, dealing with Cambridge on the back office side of things. When they had to call in, we could both see the same document that was being referenced. We could both search for something of a historical nature and we could manage and fix something in one place and have it go all the places it needed to go. That's the ideal outcome of some of those new investments and new realities that we're starting to now be able to enjoy. And then the future investments that we're making in digitization is also in the way that we're compiling that data in a single source of reference. A lot of people need to know how well they're doing or what their history of use may have been for a product or who their best clients are and in what way they're servicing them. And being able to mine that data and be able to manage their history of service with that client is something that's now newly available and often in our minds, our best investment for showing and representing the value that our advisors deliver. Here's all the ways I've touched you, Mr. Client. Here's all the ways that you've benefited by my relationship. Here's the history of service that I have stepped in, acted and managed for you that you did not have to do for yourself. And being able to access that, show that, leverage that is helpful in almost all circumstances of a, an advisor's relationship with a client. And we're making investments in new tools and products that do that both in the advisory planning phase and also in the ultimate relationship phase of what they do with the advisor. Yeah, from my perspective, I feel like, so there is no doubt that the last few years have had its more than its share of challenges, but what it caused us to do is accelerate our transformation plan. And largely I feel like we're on the tail end of it, right? We doubled down. And we've got it all mapped out. It's a, ma it's a matter of finishing. And we accelerated that. And so two benefits that came, painful as it was, to your point, adoption. 
So because of the environment over the last couple of years and, and the importance of being able to do things from anywhere at any time, instead of our traditional and typical office environment that perhaps our industry was accustomed to, I feel like our advisors and their staff so much more quickly adopted the things that we're bringing to market for them and did it happily. Um, sometimes over the years, as we've rolled out a particular type of automation, change is hard and it takes a long time to get any kind of momentum behind people adopting it. But if anything, they were leading, right? Um, in many cases, and, and we were trying to keep up with the demands that we had for, for the digitization, if you will. And then the other thing, again, like every other company and industry, in the country, we've certainly had our share of the impact of the great resignation or the great attrition or whatever it's being called. I've heard some new phrases for it, but it's, it's all talking about the same thing. And we were, in my opinion, forced in many ways to start internally adopting and leveraging the tools that we had available to us or that we were built, you were building quickly so that we could replace the non-value-added functions as we needed to with technology. And that's only going to serve us well for many years to come. Again, maybe perhaps me just choosing to see the silver lining because we've been through some pain related to these things, of course, and many others over the last few years. But everything happens for a reason. And I think we've gotten some benefits from what we've had, what we've experienced over the last couple of years. Would you agree? I totally agree. I, I I agree with more so the adoption you know aspect of your statement than anything else. It's the idea that you could debate it might have been there in the past, but given the the challenges of COVID, the the shift in in resources that we have, the way the industry is starting to evolve because of that, uh, it's no longer a debate. Uh, you you have to get into the technology adoption. You have to find the new systems of service. Uh, and be able to master them so that your culture is maintained and your relationships are sustained and you have value out of what your investments are going to yield for you. And, and that's now the, the new reality. I think all the business partners that I speak with are talking about or at least fully reconciled to at this point in time. It's, it's less of, are you doing this? And it's more of, tell me how you're successful with it. Uh, you know, should I do it is no longer there. It's more of, do you have any advice for me? And, and that is definitely in both the business and the technical side of conversations that I encounter today. Yeah, definitely has made us stronger and made our financial professionals stronger in their environments as well. Let's talk about build versus buy for a minute. Mm -hmm. When you first joined us, we still had an awful lot of build mentality because I think largely from the very top, myself and, and Eric Schwartz included, the founder of our firm, we probably thought for many, many years that we had no choice but to build what we could instead of buy um, because it was really tough to find partners that were as flexible as we were. Fast forward, even from you know maybe your first day here when I think we were still using and, and probably still are a lot of what we built you mentioned the importance of partnership with vendors. And what I got out of that is really the importance of making sure that you do your due diligence if you're, if you're not going to build. But what do you see as the 
pros and cons of that build versus buy decision, that strategy? Build versus buy in, in the financial world is much more about piecemealing solutions together. Because uh, at some point you find a vendor that does something really core that's great and it may have some value to you on the margins of what else it might offer. And then you find the next product that kind of continues that story. And when you're done, you got three or four or five or six vendors that you've got to put together. And there's some real burden there. I, I would say a classic engineering axiom is it's not hard to integrate something, it's hard to maintain it. And when you get into building things for yourself. Now you also add the additional burden of you must update it as you go along. And that's very expensive and there's much more economic solutions nowadays with solutions that are cloud-based or solutions that are designed for multi-use by multiple parties. They call them multiple tenancy solutions. You know, these are things that are lowering the price point to get it done. They're providing more robust infrastructures to make it happen. But again, it has to be maintained. And that's where Cambridge bears a, a lot of burden and delivers a lot of value because we take on that challenge. You know, we, we look at how these vendors are brought together. Uh, we pick partners that are well-designed for that kind of reality. And we tackle the difficulties of making one business model for a vendor work with another business model for a vendor because we need a solution for my client, the financial advisor. And, and that's hard. And when people try to do it on their own, it's possible, but it's difficult over time. And our value is that we do a lot of that heavy lifting for them up front and maintain it over time for you know, a little or a higher leveraged value due to our size. Um, I, I think that's the biggest you know, cost or economic consideration you have with build versus buy. I need this thing right now for this time is a short-sighted you know, decision because maintaining it or allowing it to become overly focused in your solution has ramifications down the road and it can become very expensive to make those changes later. Our strategy, what I've been building for the last four years is a way to move in and out of various vendor relationships faster than you might otherwise do it externally. That way, ideally, if you don't like this model manager, you could go to another model manager. If you don't like this CRM, you can move to a different CRM. And our environment gives you that flexibility of change because that's the, the biggest value I can offer in the way that we build things here is you have choice. You know, any one of my other competitors refine an efficient solution with a single stack of technology. And they may be, you know, integrating in some of that hybrid solution value for you, but it's limited to what they've done. And it has to test the, the sands of time, if you will, for them to get their investment back. And there would be a lot of pressure to be unwilling for change or to have an alternative. Whereas, as you've told me many times, you know, my job is to make sure you can say yes. You know, and I build things so that we can. And that allows us to evolve as the industry evolves, respond to trends that we may not have caught but can catch up to, and definitely be you know, at least authoritative around compliance demands that, as we all know, drop out of the sky. Um, so being able to do those three characteristics of, of requirements and delivery is a big part of the way we approach build versus buy. Build, you know, what we need to only when we need to, buy all the things that are of interest or need in the industry, but do it in such a way that you allow for change and you can do that cost effectively and economically. 
Well said. Thank you um, for taking that journey into that. I feel like that's a has been around for a long time and probably will continue for so many companies. So I um, appreciate you sharing. Let's go back to digital transformation, or I've started calling it the digital evolution. We continue to move through our journey, to use your word, and let's talk about what our financial professionals can expect to see from us in the future. What are you building today? So right now, the, the two large focus items that we have today is we're updating the way that we deliver the integration of some of these products and how they might see it. Uh, internally, we call it kind of the chassis of what the advisor might ride in every day as they do their delivery of business. Click is our uh, label given to that integrated relationship with the advisor at the desktop. And we're reimagining what that is. We spent a lot of time building that up. We're coming up with new ways to give that business landing page of, of what you start your day with and how you jump to some of these integrated products I've spoken of or how you get to some of the underlying value of things that we deliver uniquely from Cambridge's point of view. That is something that we're evolving and rolling out this year. We've done a lot of work last year to try to understand the scope of what must be considered and planned for. We found some vendors and have done some internal work to be able to begin that process of construction. And ultimately it will replace our current view of the click requirement here within this year. We're gonna start it and continue to roll through it. It becomes a newer technology, a better user experience, and it helps the advisors see their book of business and do their daily task. Now, along with that is some of that efficiency work that I spoke with. A new thing for us is around the new account opening model. For any one of our custodians, and we're a multi-custodial shop, we have the ability to be able to build up, you know, logic and workflow to support that activity. It's usually with a lot of paper and under normal circumstances and a lot of hoops that you go through to get it done. Uh, when Cambridge rolled out their first you know, blush on this problem, it was something where we automated some of this activity, but it was a lot of clicks and a lot of you know, workflow related activity you'd still go do. And internally, we still had a lot of handholding for some of that process we would do in operations. We found vendors and have cultivated a solution that removes a lot of that time. It's done in a way that you can do multiple accounts at one time, and it's multi-custodial in its nature. It captures a minimum amount of information from the client at your desk when you're meeting with them or have their data in front of you, and then it can be used multiple times in a single event of ac access to the various custodians that are needed to create that account relationship. It's a big portion, as we have sampled the industry, of where the advisor and his admin staff might spend their time and we're trying to shorten that and take a lot of friction out of it. That too is rolling out this year. We have a, a lot of NTD types and different types of account structures. So it's gonna be an ever rolling game of new evolution and new features we will offer. But our earliest releases will happen early this year for us to be able to get out to our adopting clients that have that focus of accounts or those relationships with our current custodians. Not to set the bar too high for you, but what I heard is that, and you know, I never forget what I heard. Never. Um, is that uh, our early work and the testing environment reflects that there's a 43% savings of time for the advisor and or his or her staff to open just one account. And to your point, 
now that the functionality will allow them to open multiple accounts or leverage the same data to open another account at a later time, um, that's going to be a really big game changer for one of the biggest demands we have from our clients, right? Everybody needs to be able to do more in the same amount of time. And um, the, the time savings is, is really an impressive metric as far as I can see for our clients that's going to make a big difference in their lives. One of the things I'd add to that, tying back to the, the your digitization theme, is that entire process is digital. That entire activity is automated, uh, with the exception of what you have to capture from the end client. And being able to see into the processing of that, like what were the documents that were sent to the custodian? How am I checking any errors in that information or being able to manipulate the outcome of you know hydrating that account with funds and getting it started for that Mr. Joan or Ms. Smith that I'm, I'm actually cultivating as a client is now something that is visible to the FP, the financial professional, and it's also accessible in a digital format to our associates. So when a phone call comes in from the field, we're doing other investments around the way we coordinate work with inside of Cambridge, adopting a business workflow solution that gives access and leverages that digital activity. And they'll be able to pull it up and tell you, hey, Everything worked except this one thing. I need, then you should have confirmation within you know, X hours or whatever the, the timing or the particular asset might be. That visible aspect of status or that awareness to issues that may have occurred should be faster, more attainable and visible at a lower level in our support staff, and definitely something leverageable to the financial professional in ways that might have been a lengthy, long phone call or being moved between different service queues to track it down that's going to change given what we're rolling out. Yeah, really exciting stuff. I'm, I, I have my easy button on my desk and I'm pressing it multiple times a day so that we can roll out this stuff for our clients as quickly as possible. And I appreciate you uh, laughing at the fact that I have an easy button because I know that's a challenge for you. You know, I mentioned earlier, Nick, that you're on a member of our executive council. Let's shift gears just a minute. Um, there's some people perhaps listening today that are still working on their career. They are at a point in time where they're trying to decide how to make it to the big table, if you will, or if they want to maybe share with our listeners from that perspective a little bit, what do you want to accomplish as an executive counter here at Cambridge? What, where do you find that you are able to contribute the most? How do you integrate your subject matter expertise into that role? One of the unique things about the board that you have me a part of, Amy, is the fact that each of the disciplines, the risk and legal side of things, the strategy and marketing side of things, the sales and positioning in the market you know, aspect of, of the world, including the technology solutions that the company runs on, has an opportunity to contribute to some of our greatest decisions. Um, what I want to accomplish is to continue to find out more about those other aspects of how those departments are moving into new areas of investment, you know, new strategies of execution, new realities of constraints or requirements. And so as we debate those things, solving for them the business solution challenge that we all share is where I contribute. And I can contribute more the more I know about it. It's that Rubik's Cube of 
hey, instead of us trying to beat up that particular department with a lot of manual work, I can get a good team of people to produce reports for you. Or I can evolve a solution they already are trained on and add new data to it so that they can perform that task in a more efficient way. Or as they make an evolution of adoption, here's new capabilities we didn't have before that we might be able to leverage. That affects some of our ability to be more robust as a company for our financial advisors, uh, more quality and efficient for them in the way that we perform our function. And I think for us, as we grow, we don't have to keep stacking bodies on this to be able to achieve new levels of delivery of service or value for our clientele. We get better at the way we do the job. And in many ways in today's world, there's a technology component to that. It's understanding it well enough to know how to step in and say, got a technical solution for it. You know, my, my version of there's an app for that, uh, you know, or I can integrate that together and probably add some other value uh, is what I try to offer. Or we go through evolutions of change. I mean, you've grown this company from, you know, a small handful of people to, you know, we're almost a thousand people at this point in time. And we're big enough to have a lot of headroom and capacity to continue that growth. And that growth is going to be on the back of and leveraging technology in new ways as you've been very willing to make investments in that space. Thank you for sharing. You know, one of the things I've been most impressed as I've gotten to know you is, and others have picked up on this as well. I don't even know that you focus directly on transmitting this interest of yours very frequently, but it, it is evident that the technology industry, like financial services in many ways, is still a male-dominated industry. And I've watched you support women, and in particular, women in technology in so many ways. Um, why don't you share with our listeners what that means to you and how maybe some examples of how you have inspired a segment of the community that we live in to consider this as a career? Let me set a little context. I, I think early on when you were asking about me and my career, I made a comment about my mentors. I've had three in my career that I think guided meaningful change in what I am and how I do it. All three of them were women. Um, and, and as a young engineer who was cocky and, and very self-assured, uh, I got a lot of maturity out of dealing with you know, my first one. And then the other two in sequence as my career unfolded had a lot of guidance for me about one, how to deal with people. The second issue is how to pay attention to what the company and the business is all about. It's not about just my, my interest in technology. It's about how it solves a problem that you know, makes money and creates career opportunity for all of the associates in the company. So they guided me. And I look at them and the way they taught me is you give back. And you also recognize the value of people with different backgrounds. And there's, there's a lot of jokes out there, so I won't make any career limiting comments, but you know, as a, as a guy that would evaluate myself, I don't multitask very well. Uh, and a lot of the young ladies that sometimes I look at that are you know, rising stars and moving very quickly do have that skill set. And in many ways, they don't see the value different attitude of approach or a different empathy for the nature of the individuals involved in the work. And they don't give themselves credit for that. And I find ways to give them that platform to function from or recognize the value that they're bringing in maybe new ways because they are doing all the work. I'm, I'm not in that, in that game of creating artificial realities for them. They earn it. Um, 
but I would tell all of them because I've converted a lot of people from different backgrounds. Uh, I have a saying, it's attitude and aptitude for me. I can teach everything else. Um, and anyone that thinks that they're, you know, looking at technology as an, an exclusive club, a lot of it is very attainable nowadays. Uh, but getting someone with the right attitude and aptitude is very difficult to find or recognize. And when I find it, I try to continue to set the stage and move the needle on their career to get the most out of them or give them the chance to grow in the best way so that they're very well formed. I mean, they, they become an asset to the greater team because they approach it with the right attitude and approach of, of service and value and recognition for what they're contributing. And then the aptitude is just give them a chance and a clear lane and a mission for them to accomplish. And they usually motivate themselves and you don't have to do all the heavy lifting as a leader. And that's where I think I've been very successful as I've chosen well. And a lot of these people have surprised me with how far and how great they have moved. Now, the examples that you asked for, um, one of my greatest mentoring moments here at Fairfield was having two young ladies at a lower level, um, basically complaining about career advancement and opportunity, you know, within the company or in the small town or where they're at in the geographic location of Iowa. And I listened as a good mentor and I told them that I won't talk to you anymore unless you do the following for me. I said, you have to have a meeting with at least the next dozen females that you think are in a similar mindset. And I will provide your first speaker. And I would like to see you maintain this rigor of holding a meeting at least once a month. You don't get to pass the baton to anybody else. It's on you. And I stepped back and let them agitate on that for a while. And they created their own community. What they didn't know is once they gave me the date, I went out and invited probably about 45 other people. Um, so they had to find a bigger venue. And then I think uh, I hoodwinked you into being their first speaker. Um, and they maintain that and it's still ongoing. Uh, and it gives them a platform to be a leader around women in a similar life situation or a similar career growth situation. We have great conversations about what they hear from other people, recognizing common story and common trends. And when it comes to advice delivery, it can be everything about how Single mothers are juggling the challenges of that particular, you know, uh, profile of life versus others that are very well accomplished uh, that are looking for a new challenge. Uh, and they share in ways that they would not expect. And so being able to cultivate safe spaces for those kinds of conversations and bringing in male leadership figures that invest likewise, like I do, was a surprise to almost all of them. And in many cases, their ability to leverage it effectively was also something that had to be taught. And I, I think, I know you've got a lot of diversity initiatives that are ongoing here, but finding time to have real mentoring conversations with staff are the reasons why staff stay. There's no one listening to this that doesn't worry about that with their own group. And when you look at your talent, either teaching your male associate how to effectively work with female assets that are in that environment effectively for what they, they should have as a common view of good skills is important as much as telling that female associate that there's value and growth that should have no boundaries uh, and should have no ceilings. And then go for it as fast as you can in the best way that you can. You know, that's the way that I've always viewed this and the way my mentor has trained me. And I'm trying to continue that story as I do it with others. Thanks for sharing. Um, I couldn't agree more. I think, um, you know, I, I picked up this topic based on gender, but 
you've offered a lot of really valuable advice, not just for women, but for everyone and in every diversity category. Diversity is a competitive advantage. I think Cambridge has achieved a lot of success because we have um, a fair amount. We can always do better um, of diversity. And to your second point, have a voice, offer the ability for people to have a voice, community. Um, those are all really important things to a successful and rewarding environment around here. So you offer a, lo a lot of sage wisdom there for sure. I want to know, I know actually, but I want our listeners to know that we do give you a few hours a day off and that you have a personal life here and there. So tell our listeners what you do in your free time. What is it that, you know, Nick Graham would pick up and, and spend an hour that we give him off uh, from doing good work here at our firm? What do you do and who do you do it with? What, what do you do in your free time? For me, I, I'm still a, a nerd at heart. So I'm, you know, as you and I joke, I'm the propeller head with a tie. So I enjoy still playing around with electronics in my own time. I build little projects. Uh, I have little competitions with my son. I have one son out of my four kids that might be an engineer. So uh, he and I build things or I help him with things he's building uh, or we both research stuff that we both like to go build. That's a big part of it. And then on the athletic side of things, uh, you know, I love being able to, to work out and lift. I used to be a big lifter when I was a young man. I'm getting back into it now that I'm an older man, uh, trying to trying to get back into shape. So uh, it makes me feel good. It's a part of what I like to go do. Uh, sports on my end, when I moved to Fairfield, I've been invited into two sports I have no skills in at all. Uh, probably golf being the one that's the most embarrassing, but I have a lot of fun with the the friendships that I've cultivated and being able to spend quality time with those people under just beautiful settings and being able to enjoy just laughter and, and non-work talk uh, is where I probably round out the balance of my free time. Great. All kidding aside for our listeners, I think for the most part, the definition of workaholic has gone away, might have been much bigger, um, even in you know, uh, the generation ahead of you and I, Nick, and you just called us old. So that's disturbing. <laughs> I don't like to see us as old, but there is a balance and it's important for people's mental well-being and, and physical well-being to make sure that they find some hobbies and do some things outside of work. So hopefully you've inspired a few if they don't, if they haven't found that to go out and find it. So let's wrap up. Anyone listening out there could be considering a career in business, our business, financial services, or technology. What final advice would you give them? When it comes to, I'll play the technology card for that answer. Technology, and I tell this to our interns that we have, is something that a lot of people approach and look at as being daunting. There's no way I can catch up. It's so complex. There's no way I can digest all that information. Look that page. And this is what I tell the intern when I look at the old guy talking to the young kid. I'm like, I'm one news article away from not knowing anything and you not knowing anything from your college career you just delivered. We both start new on a new topic, new skill, new technology, and we both learn it. You know, it's almost like a reset button gets hit all the time as something comes up. And it's exciting to me to say, hey, that's a fresh way to go do something I might have some familiarity with just as it is for the new college graduate of, or someone with a different background saying, you know what, I think I understand how that might work. 
and coming to it and in months, many of the most successful people I've encountered don't have an engineering background like I do. You know, they're, they're everything from my best friend who was a psychologist to people that came out of marketing, people that came out of accounting, you know, any one of these starting points and or people that don't even have a degree become invested in learning more about, which is in my game, more about reading, more about application to how it actually does something for a business. And knowing a little gives you access to a lot. And so as you play with that knowledge and you invest in a little more discovery and a lot of this technology nowadays, more so than when I was younger, is out there literally to go play with. There's, there's free resources on YouTube. There's tools that are free for you to download and, and use on you know, laptop and equipment you have at home. There's ways that you could go experiment with proving that you've mastered a skill. And I look at this all the time as people that hold themselves back because they don't think it's accessible and really it is. And then the rest of your life experience then becomes an, an element in that equation. Like, where can I start to use this? Who do I know that might need my help? Because I also now know something about technology. Just get your toehold started and continue to move on with it. You know, probably I, I look back, even me being nerdy, I say my best skill that I had that allowed me to move so fast in my career was I had a little bit of gray hair when I was a young man. People just assumed I knew something and I'd give a, be given a shot at it. And uh, then I would just read hard and study more and be able to apply it quickly and learn how to participate in that industry. So it's all a journey. Don't, don't lose heart at the beginning. You know, take that first step begin that process. And in my case, I think technology is very attainable for many to be able to add to what they do and the value they bring to their career. Uh, and it's something I definitely, you know, would encourage people to at least attempt if you have an interest in it. Never stop learning. Well said. Well said. Well, Nick, thanks for joining me today on Cambridge Stronger. I'm so glad that you came to the Cambridge family. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.